Welcome to today's episode of Narratives in Grace. Today's episode is a sermon from January 26, 2020, entitled Sharing the Hope of Glory. I pray that this is a blessing to you, and thank you for tuning in. Amen. Good morning, church. It is good to be in the Lord's house this morning. Amen? Amen. And I already said it, but it doesn't make it any less true whether we're singing or whether we're studying God's Word. Um, And I will say it is a blessing to not just lead His people in song, but that I get to proclaim His Word again this morning. Um, I had a a pastor that I worked with in Texas uh, where I was an interim music minister, and one Sunday that I was out, instead of finding a sub, he filled in because he, he's fairly musical. And he said, I can do it, just not every Sunday. <laughs> like, don't do that again, please. <laughs> like, be here. I was like, no worries, I'm here. And, uh, but I'm glad that I'm able to do it. Um, but, but before we get into the passage, we're continuing through Colossians. So we're starting in Colossians 1.24. The last song that we sang by faith um, one of our professors in seminary, every time he led music in chapel, that song was on the, the plan. Pretty much every single time, there may have been one, especially if he was with the orchestra, I can't think of a single time that he didn't do by faith. And it is one of my favorite songs, and every so often I forget why it's one of my favorite songs. But it's just so rich, as most of, of the Gettys music is, I think. But that last, that last verse, By faith this mountain shall be moved, and the power of the gospel shall be, prevail. Not just that, that we're, we're going to be successful, but the power of the gospel shall prevail. And I just pray that as we go through uh, Colossians this morning, that we can see that truth proclaimed in this passage as well. It may not say it directly, but it does definitely imply that, that the power of the gospel shall prevail in all of our ministry. But uh, we'll be continuing uh, starting in verse one, uh, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 24. We already did verse 1. Chapter 24 through uh, chapter 2, verse 5. And we'll be looking at what it is to share the hope of glory. But before we start looking at this passage, let us go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Dear Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for all that you've done and all that you do for us. We thank you that you have given us this revelation, that you have revealed these things, that, that there were certain parts of your truth that you kept hidden for a time until your son came and died on a cross for us, and then you revealed those aspects of yourself and him and the Spirit to us. And we just ask that as we study this portion of your scriptures this morning, that we can come to know you just a little bit more and what you have called us to. And I just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Starting in verse 24, Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he may powerfully work within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for those who have, seen, who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Thanks be to God. So if you remember two weeks ago when I started looking at this letter to the Colossians, the beginning passage tells us what a minister is, the qualities and aspects of what a minister is. But this passage is what ministry is, what it is to do ministry. And it's using, Paul is using himself as an example. And this isn't necessarily what he is intending. He's not saying, I'm a minister, so you know how to do ministry. But it is what we get from this passage and what we see. But even more so, we know, I'll kind of cut to the end, that the point of ministry is to bring glory to God and share our hope of his glory. But one of the first things that it points out to us in verse 25 is that God calls us to ministry. This isn't something that we choose to do. It's something that he calls us to. We choose to fulfill what he's called us to, but he has called us to this ministry. And we can take assurance in that because we know that he is where he, we, let me try that again, because we can know that we are where he has placed us. He doesn't necessarily send us where we want to go, but he sends us where he wants us to be, where we are needed. And I think in this passage, one of the the words that is best to understand, to help understand this passage, is the word stewardship. Stewardship is taking care while the master is away. It is God telling Paul and us in turn that he has given us this place to take care of because he is not there. Now he is working in us. It's not that he is absent, but he is working through the Holy Spirit that we may take care of his people and the people around, the people in the community, that we can take care of the, the lost, but that we can also feed the hungry. We can give those without a home, a home of some sort. We can give comfort to those in pain. We are to bring the hope of Christ wherever he has sent us. And this is a new idea. Throughout the Old Testament, we see this. We see God telling people to go different places, and he doesn't always give them a reason why. He told Abraham to leave the land of his fathers to go. He told uh, the different prophets to go to different lands. He told Jonah to go to the Ninevites. He tells people to go. And they listen. It's not because they wanted to be there. In fact, with Jonah, we we studied that uh, a few months ago. We know, in fact, it was the opposite. He did not want to go. And he tried to leave. But God will call us to where he wants us to be. And if we try and run, 
He's a very persuasive person. But we see this even in Isaiah 6. At the end of the passage, Isaiah is understanding that God is looking for somebody to go, and he says, send me. Tell me where to be. And that is the attitude that we should have, that we should go where God calls us. Because we should understand that he knows far greater than we do. That we see this a lot with missionaries. Different missionaries feel like they want to go to Europe or they want to go to, to England because they speak my language or they go this or that place, but they're not always called there. And typically they, where they end up is where God needed them to be or where he wanted them to be, where they were needed. And we can take comfort in this because we know we are where we are appointed. There's nothing that happens by accident. There's no coincidences that get us to where we are. God appoints these things in his time for his reasons. One of my friends in high school put it this way, that in ministry, we're to grow roots wherever we're planted. And I've thought about that from time to time over the years. I wasn't a Christian at the time, so that thought, I liked it, but it kind of bothered me. I'm not one that likes to be told where to go. I'm one that I like to choose where to be, but even in my coming here, I've said it several times, Naomi and I fully intended on going back to Chicago or Minnesota or stay in Texas or go to New England because that's where we have friends and family. But God had a different plan for us. And through a long string of circumstances, he brought us here. And in the time since becoming a Christian, when I think about that, I'm very thankful to God. Not that he plants us, but that he makes it so that we can grow roots that we can grow strong in the faith to serve him well. In seminary, at the church, one of the churches Naomi and I worked with where I taught and, and Naomi played piano and I occasionally led music for them, there was one Sunday that they had a uh, missionary Sunday. And they had various missionaries that were on furlough or were taking time at Southwestern for one reason or another to come and teach the different Sunday school classes and one of them uh, preached the message that day. And the, the gentleman that was in my Sunday school class, his name was Kenny Vines. And I had recognized that name when, when they told me who was going to be in the class. And I had texted a friend who was a missionary for a time in, in Africa because I knew that she had known him. And in fact, they had done training together. So I went up and talked to him afterward about that and some other things. And, and it, it's just funny how God connects people like that. But one of the things that he said that was was fairly impactful to me is that he did not want to go to Africa. Uh, It took him a long time before he surrendered his life to Christ. It took even longer before he surrendered his life to to be a missionary. But the one thing he said is, okay, God, I'll I'll be a missionary. I'll go where you want, but just don't send me to Africa. And then the IMB called them up and said, okay, we're ready to send you, and we're going to send you to Africa. He said, okay, God. I asked you for one thing, but you're telling me something else, so let's go and see what happens. And in fact, the first six months were very trying for him, and not just in the way that every missionary has a first difficult six months as they're getting used to the culture, but he just could not find his groove there and just felt like all of his skill sets were not meant for Africa. But finally, he just tried something different, and he started a basketball league. They don't really have basketball leagues in Africa, especially where he was. He wasn't in one of the cities. He was in a very rural area. But in that, he was able to, to get together a lot of the kids in the area through that league, through something that he grew up doing. Not something he learned in seminary, 
something that he learned beforehand that God had given him because he knew that he would be appointed to Africa and God gave him that skill to use it there. And through this and other skills that he had gotten in different areas, he found that he was exactly where he was supposed to be, that he was thankful to be in Africa, that he was on furlough to finish a, a doctorate and he was just excited to get back to the field. That we saw him the day he graduated and he said, yep, we're leaving tomorrow to see family for a few weeks and we're back to Africa. And he was excited for that fact. He, was, he knew he was going to miss his friends and family that he got reunited with in that last time uh, in, during that furlough, but he was excited to get back and continue his ministry because he knew that he was where God had appointed him. But the passage goes on, and throughout the passage, it tells us to rejoice in all circumstances. It, we see it in verses 24, 29, and chapter 2, verse 1. That in all the struggling and all the strife, we are to thank God for where He's appointed us and what He's putting us through because we're put through it for His glory. That we don't go through difficulties just to go through them. That we go through them to learn something and to bring glory to His name. And in fact, this letter is one of the jailed epistles. It's one of the epistles that Paul most likely wrote from a jail cell. It's not one that he wrote while he was traveling or, or sitting, relaxing. It was one that he was in jail, imprisoned. He was stopped from doing the ministry that he was called to do. And he wrote these letters during this time. Now, that doesn't mean that we should be trying to go to jail and be thankful for God in that. We shouldn't follow Paul's example to that extent. But if we are jailed because we're preaching the gospel, we should be thankful to that and use that as a testimony. And we see that not just through church history, but in recent history. I have a friend who was preaching the gospel on trains throughout Chicago, and eventually he was arrested because he was disturbing the peace. And he wasn't kept for very long, but he was still imprisoned for a time because he was proclaiming God's word. And they said it wasn't because you're proclaiming God's word, you're just disrupting people, but... <clears throat> He knew that, at least in part, it was because of what he was saying. And we need to know that we're going to go through many things in our lives, but we can use all of them to proclaim God's truth and worship his holy name. And through all of these things, we need to walk as he has commanded us. We need to not get angry at people that persecute us, but we need to pray for them. And in all of these things, we need to point to Christ, who is our hope. We need to show that Christ indwells in us through the Spirit. And in that, that is our hope of glory. That that is our hope of reaching heaven. That that is our hope of salvation. And we know that even in the darkest of struggles, that we have Christ. We have the light of the world to shine through that darkness. That through that hope, through His light, we can see the reason why we do these things and the reason why we go through these trials and tribulations. We need to look at all that Christ has done and be encouraged. And in our lives, we need to keep track of the things that God does. We need to rejoice in all things knowing that they glorify God. And we need to know that there are ministry opportunities through trials. One of these, Naomi and I experienced in seminary right from the get-go. So we, we got to, to seminary. A friend helped us drive down, and three days later, he was flying back, and he went down the stairs to go to the van to put his stuff in the van, and he looked back up at me and said, where's the van? Like, it's right there. 
<laughs> right? Like, you're kidding, right? Nope, it was gone. So I called security to make sure that I didn't park in the wrong place and I didn't tow it or something, and nope, the van was stolen after three days of living in Texas. And talk about a trial. You get to seminary to study God's Word, and what happens first thing before you ever step foot in a classroom? Your van gets stolen. But we called a couple people, and we were able to figure stuff out, and, and uh, through the Lord's providence, the van was found within an hour. Um, that There was a police officer that noticed the van in a, a sketchy area that was known for... Um, cleaning stolen cars and he noticed one of them had a Connecticut plate in Texas so he kind of just stayed there and we were able to get the van back but through that that um, opportunity we had opportunities to minister to others and get to know others that we were able to do ministry with because for the next month or so when we were asked about something funny that had happened to us we said well our van was stolen and we got it back within an hour or so and they're like oh you're the ones we were praying for in so many different classes, people that I never met before and people that I still don't necessarily know who they were that we just met in passing. But through those opportunities, we got to know some different people and we got to pray with other people and we got to share struggles and trials with people and we were able to do ministry together because of that circumstance. People that we would have just ended up passing uh, in the night, so to speak, but because of that circumstance, we able, were able to meet them and get to know them and share God's glory with other people together. But we see this in more difficult times and in much darker trials. One of the, the professors at Southwestern, his name is Dr. Allen. He's the dean of the School of Preaching there. And a, a couple years ago in chapel, a few years ago, I guess at this point, he preached a sermon uh, uh, from Corinthians on the, the thorn in your side and how you use that thorn to minister to people. And he was preaching this because just a few months earlier, his wife had passed away from cancer. And that through that trial, she easily could have stopped, but she used that to preach the gospel to others. She used that to witness to others that were going through the same darkness. She used it so that people knew that there was hope in Christ, that even in this hopeless-seeming situation, that there was a far greater hope. That even though this cancer may take your life, if you have faith in Christ, you have eternal hope. We can use all of the struggles and trials in our lives to witness to others and to proclaim His glory to the lost. And as we go and do ministry, we need to know that we are knit together in love. We need to know that we need to come together as a church to do ministry together, and to witness to His name. And I don't just mean as an individual church. And we need to seek unity in all of our churches individually, but I'm also speaking as the universal church. We need to work together with other churches to do ministry because how much more can we do together than each of us can do separately? And that's part of why we're part of a denomination. We as Southern Baptists work together. We literally have a thing called the Cooperative Program to come together and cooperate and do ministry together. We fund most of our missions through the cooperative program because us as a single church couldn't fund a missionary for an entire year. But together, as all of the churches together, we can send out all of those missionaries and church planners and support them to do those missions and ministry <clears throat> together. But I don't necessarily even mean within our denomination. We can come together with other groups and other denominations and do ministry together as long as we believe that there, there are 
true believers. And we even have this in our Baptist faith and message. That the, the Baptist faith and message is our statement of faith. What we believe as a church and as a denomination and when uh, you hire pastors on, we all have to sign it and say that we agree with it. And part of what it says is that we will come together with other groups to do important ministry things even if we don't agree with everything they do and say. It says Christian unity in the New Testament sense is spiritual harmony and voluntary cooperation for common ends by various groups of Christ's people. Cooperation is desirable between the various Christian denominations when the end to be attained is itself justified and when such cooperation involves no violation of conscience or compromise of loyalty to Christ and His Word as revealed in the New Testament. We come together to work with other peoples as long as it doesn't violate what we believe so that we can do so much more for the gospel. And we see this all the time with different issues, especially we see that with the issue of abortion. We as a Southern Baptist Convention don't fight that alone. We come together with other groups to fight that because it is something that we all agree on and that it doesn't violate because our, our belief because we all believe that there is a sanctity of life and that we want to show the glory of Christ through His creation, through the creation being done every day, that He knits each of us in our mother's wombs, that, that we come together with others to proclaim that truth. But we need to lean on one another. We need to lean on other churches in other areas. If there's, we have other churches that are struggling on this island, and we come beside them and help them through their struggles and trials, whatever they may be. <clears throat> And there's an important thing in this to where we, we work together because we want to proclaim the glory of Christ, but we also want to make sure that it doesn't hinder that, that witness by disagreements on significant doctrines. And I described this, I heard it, I didn't come up with this, but I heard it several years ago described as three hills. There's the hills of the indifferent things, the things that... that you and I may disagree on like whether we should have the, the, the flooring like it is now or we should have carpet. And I, I think we should have it like this, so don't hear me say we should have carpet. No. Um, but those are the types of things or the little bits of doctrine that we discuss and disagree on. But those are the, that little hill that we can become part of the same church together. And then there's this, the, the, the final hill is the hill to die on. Those are the, the in, those are the things that we cannot compromise. But then there's the middle hill. Those are the, the people that we believe are brothers and sisters in Christ, but we may not be able to be members of the same church because of disagreements in doctrine. And I have a very good friend uh, from college. Naomi and I have a very good friend from college um, who is on that second hill that we vehemently disagree on certain aspects of, of theology, but we come together and do ministry together because it is for the betterment of the gospel proclamation. And in fact, the, the story that I tell to show how he and I are is we got together with him and his new wife right before moving here. We happened to be passing through the same city at the same time and had dinner with him. And in, throughout that dinner, at one point, some, kind, some point in theology came up, and I don't remember what it is, but he and I had a debate. And it was a very active debate. And at one point, I could tell his wife and Naomi were both like making sure that Something wasn't about to happen. But then all at once we were both like, okay, that was fun. Now it's for dessert. 
and we moved on, and I think that's kind of an example of what we need to do with brothers and sisters that we may not agree on everything, but we can't let these divisions become so broad that we can't do ministry together. We're told to do ministry together. We're told to pray for other ministries. I may not agree with certain aspects of his theology, but I pray for his ministry nonetheless. I pray that he can present the truth of Christ to others, even though I may disagree with some of his interpretations. And all of this tells us how to do ministry. This tells us that we're to know that we are where God plants us, and even if we don't think we are where we wanted to be, that we need to grow roots there if that's where he has called us to be. And that we rejoice in all things because they are for his good and his glory. And that we lean on one another and know that we're knit together in love. But then we need to know why we do it. We do it to pass on the truth. We do it to show that Christ is in each of us and that is our hope and glory. It is our hope to reach heaven because of who Christ is. And we see this in verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is, uh, this letter to believers is saying, go out and witness so that people can see Christ in you. And when it's referring to, to chose to make known at this time, there were, there were mysteries in the Old Testament. And that was who the Messiah was going to be and what he was going to do. And in this letter, Paul's writing, they've been made known now. We know those mysteries. God chose to make them known at this point so that we can go out, that we can share this hope and glory. What once was hidden is now revealed. We can look through the scriptures and debate on little, little disagreements and little things that we can never know exactly how certain things work, but we need to make sure that we don't do it to such an extent that we don't actually go out to witness. It's so easy to, to just stay in the building and lock the door, so to speak, and never worry about going out. But we need to have those times. We need to have those discussions, those debates, but we need to go out even more so. We need to make sure that we spend time witnessing to the lost, sharing these things with them. We need to know the purpose of sharing this truth. That it's to bring lo the lost into the light. And once they're brought into the light, it's to make believers mature believers so that they know who Christ is, that they continue to grow in faith. That we should all have somebody that we're discipling, but we should all have somebody that is discipling us. That even if you've been a believer for 40 years, there's somebody that you can learn from. But in this, it's to avoid false teaching. We need to make sure that we don't fall into false doctrine. I've said it several times in, in several different places, and you may or may not have heard me say it, but false teaching doesn't present itself as such. It doesn't come in and say, okay, what they were saying is wrong. Now this is the new way of doing it. It starts small and grows bigger. And as we see here, I like the way it's put in this letter in particular, is that you don't fall for plausible arguments. It's so easy for somebody to make a plausible argument for something that so obviously goes against Scripture when you look at anywhere else in the Scriptures. And we see this with so many different issues. And one of my favorite that, that I've told this story several times, and I'm sure at least some of you have heard this, but at one point I was in a church and I was still a new believer, 
but the, the pastor was preaching on Abraham being willing to sacrifice Isaac. And he said that he knew that this was only a parable because as a father, he would never be willing to sacrifice his child. And that sounds plausible. That sounds like it makes sense until you read any part of the New Testament. Then you understand the point of that story is that God was calling Abraham to do this so that Abraham, being the beginning of the Jewish line, would show his faithfulness and his willingness and that God could stop him and say, no, you don't have to do this, but I will do it in the, in the place that I will make a sacrifice of my son so that you don't have to. We need to learn more about him so that we can make sure that we don't fall for these plausible arguments, these things that seem true. We need to do all of these things to share who Christ is. We need to share that Christ is in us through the Spirit and that through him we have the hope and glory. So the question comes, how do we do ministry? We go where he has called us. Simply put, we go where he's called us. Sometimes that's him laying something on our heart and sometimes it's an opportunity being open. If you feel called to go on a mission trip and you really want to go to Korea and then a mission trip to Korea comes up and you can't afford it, but one to the Philippines also opens up and you can't afford that, maybe that's God telling you, go to the Philippines. But then it means rejoicing. We rejoice in everything. We rejoice in all of the trials and tribulations, but even more so, we rejoice in the successes that He gives us, that we rejoice in the blessings that He grants us. And we do it in unity. We as a church come together and unite for the gospel, whether it's in services like this, worshiping together, or going to Sunday school and learning together, or going out and witnessing together. We've talked about things like who's your one, and we may be each doing that individually with my one and your one and his one and her one, but we're still doing it as a unified church. We're doing it together and praying for one another as we do it. But then I think the most important question of why do we do ministry? And it is to share the truth that Christ is in us and that he is the hope and glory. And as we go from here, I think we need to listen to the, the verse 5, the last verse in this section. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of faith in Christ. Even though we may not be able to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we can rejoice with them, we can pray for them, and we can thank God for them and all that they say and do for the glory of the gospel. Let us go to this morning to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for all the things that you've done. We thank you for this message that you have given us, that the letter that you inspired Paul to write to those in uh, the Colossians. And we just ask that as we go from here, we can learn from this and we can remember this passage. We can remember that, that you have called us not just to be good ministers, but to do ministry and that you have called us to do this together. And I just pray that we can come together and do ministry in your name, first and foremost, because you are the glorious God. You dwell in all of us who believe in you and have faith in you. And that is our hope. We thank you for all that you say and do. In your name we pray. Amen. us for today's narrative of grace.
I pray that this message was a blessing to you. If you have any questions about today's message or really anything else, you can email us at pastor at Uh We'd love to address it in a future podcast. If there are any prayer concerns or anything that we can be praying over, please email us at prayer at Thank you for joining us today.